From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme where it's uh, Prime Minister's questions, but of course with Rishi Sunak at the G7 and Keir Starmer at the BCC, the British Chambers of Commerce, it's Deputy PM Oliver Dowden and Deputy Leader Angela Rayner who'll be at the dispatch box. Yeah, I wonder if it'll be deputies at dawn like uh, like last time. It was pretty brutal, if you remember, Dominic Raab facing Angela Rayner last time. She went straight for the jugular. Uh, yeah, with but Raab uh, is gone. I mean, it's less than a month since he resigned because of the allegations around bullying. Uh, He was found to have had an intimidating manner towards his colleagues. So he's out, Dowden's in. Let's see how that goes. There are a number of points I think could well come up, one of them being housing. Yeah, I do wonder if housing is going to come up. I think it has to be uh, an odds-on favourite. Labour trying to make the running on this. Keir Starmer giving an interview to The Times where he says that Labour would build in certain circumstances on the green belt that mm. is going to be very controversial amongst uh, many people who live in the green belt but labor clearly hopes it will be uh, a vote winner amongst uh, renters talking which of course the government is uh, unveiling its renting proposals today to reform uh, the rules around private renting yeah. which again will be controversial amongst some not least the uh, many landlords in landlords the country seen as another crackdown another bit of regulation from government migration i think may be a talking point from mm. the tories perspective sunak did manage to get that eu deal collaborate on illegal migration in the tra- in um, the English Channel, so working with Frontex, so making basically the stop the boats idea more of a European-wide issue, and that was a win, wasn't it? A bit of a thawing of EU relations. Yes, it's a sort of uh, a second bit of thawing of EU relations. There's definitely a certain warmth, isn't there, between von der Leyen uh, and Rishi Sunak, and he hopes that will pay a dividend uh, with the small boats. A very very thorny issue, which of course one of the Prime Minister's five pledges, and he hopes that a bit of EU cooperation uh, is going to get him uh, over the line on that one, but not something that is uh, easily fixed at all. Yeah. Also, of course, Keir Starmer, just in the last few minutes, has pledged to renegotiate parts of Boris Johnson's Brexit deal. This is a big bit of news. He gave an interview to Sky. We'll have a chance perhaps to unpack that a little bit later on in the programme. The idea of renegotiating several Goodness. elements of the trade deal. I mean, it, it sort of surprised us. Um, I doubt the Europeans would want to do that that would they well they've said repeatedly that they don't want to i mean i'm not sure that there's a lot of appetite anywhere for this i mean it took a blooming long time didn't it the first time around and i'm kind of surprised that the labor lead himself you know if a new labor government is going to have a lot on its plate if it comes in and does he really want to be unpicking the brexit well, door here's the deputy uh, pm just standing up 
campaigning on this important issue. The Home Secretary will have heard his remarks. I would say that the Digital Markets and Competition and Consumer Bill does put duties on those platforms, and ultimately, if fraud is being perpetrated, the police should take action. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and it's a pleasure to welcome yet another Deputy Prime Minister to the dispatch box, the third deputy that I've faced in three years. And you know what they say, the third time's a charm. And and I'm also pleased to note, Mr Speaker, that the Prime Minister has a working-class friend, finally. I seem to remember that after the loss of 300 Conservative seats at last year's local elections, the Right Honourable Gentleman resigned, saying someone must take responsibility. After a thousand more Conservative councillors have been given the boot by voters, who does he think is responsible now? Mr Speaker, in the, in the, the spirit of the Right Honourable Lady's opening remarks, can I just say it really is a pleasure to see the Right Honourable Lady here today. I was, though, expecting to face the Labour leader's choice for the next Deputy Prime Minister if they win the election, uh, so I'm surprised that the Lib Dem leader isn't taking questions there. <laughs> I take the Right Honourable Lady's predictions with a pinch of salt. After all, she confidently predicted that the Right Honourable Member for Islington North would one day be Prime Minister. Remember, this is a man who wanted to abolish the army, scrap Trident, withdraw from NATO and abandon Ukraine. And what did she say to that? She couldn't wait for him to be Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, it's absolutely amazing that while the Labour Party is preparing to govern with a Labour majority, his party is, is starting to prepare for opposition, Mr Speaker. And this week at the National Conservative Conference, a member for Devisers blamed the country's problems on a new religion. He even hit out at the dystopian fantasy of John Lennon. The member for Pentastone and Stockbridge said identifying falling birthing rates is the overarching threat to the UK. She criticised woke teaching in for destroying children's souls and causing self-harm and suicide among people. And the right honourable member for North East Somerset really let the cat out the bag when he said parties that try to gerrymander end up finding their clever schemes come back to bite them as dare I said we found when insisting on voter ID. The right honourable gentleman opposite while working in number 10 said he had to listen to the radio every morning to find out what was really going on in the country. Apparently he was surprised on a daily basis by what he learned and most of his time was spent on day-to-day crisis management. Eleven years on, Mr Speaker, nothing has changed. I'm not quite sure what the question was then, Mr Speaker. But, uh, 
if she wants to talk about this all this sort of thing, we all know what's going on with her and her leader. It's all lovey-dovey on the surface. They turn it on for the cameras, but as soon as they're off, it's a different story. They're at each other's throats. Mr Speaker, they're the Phil and Holly of British politics. Deputy Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The reality is, after 13 years of Tory rule, they're still lurching from crisis to crisis and wallowing in their own mess. They can't solve the crisis because they are the crisis. The Honourable Member opposite should take more note of what's happening at his conferences in his party before trying to make up what's happening in mine. The Prime Minister pledged that by March NHS waiting lists would fall. It's now May. So can he tell us, since he made that pledge, is the number of people waiting on late waiting lists higher or lower? Mr Speaker, we are making good progress, for example, with two-year waiting lists. But the right honourable lady seems to forget a crucial fact. The United Kingdom experienced an unprecedented pandemic. Right before COVID, GP satisfaction was high. Delayed discharges were half. Ambulance targets were being met. And she knows that right now, in Labour-run Wales, exactly the same challenges are being faced. The difference between us is, on this side of the House, we've got a plan to fix it, while she's too busy playing petty politics. Mr Speaker, even before the pandemic, waiting lists were going up. So it doesn't wash that this government, after 13 years in power, is blaming everybody but themselves for what people are having to put up with. He appears to be claiming that 11,000 patients waiting more than 18 months is an achievement. The last Labour government reduced waiting times from 18 months to 18 weeks. And he can come back to me when he's achieved that. The fact is, Mr Speaker, waiting lists are longer than when the Prime Minister made his pledge five months ago. The number of people in England waiting to start hospital treatment is the highest since records began. 7.3 million patients left waiting. Now, I know the Prime Minister has his own private GP, so maybe he doesn't appreciate the urgency, but he's left people like my constituent, Carol, waiting for over a year for an urgent appointment, moved from waiting list to waiting list with appointments cancelled again and again. So if not now, when will waiting lists fall? It will continue till I hear the end of this question. The more, if I get any more interruptions, it will take longer. Angela Ray. Mr Speaker, they don't want to hear the question because they know the answer. They know the answer is that they failed the British people. So when will waiting lists fall? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, I would gently say to the Right Honourable Lady, if she cares that much about access to our health care, why is she opposing our minimum service levels? They will provide core emergency services with vital cover during health care strikes. Does she not think that vulnerable patients deserve that level of care, or is she too weak to stand up to her union paymasters? 
Mr Speaker, we all, we all want minimum service levels. It's this government. It's this government that have failed to provide minimum service levels in all of our trains, in all of our public services, because they've run them down and mismanaged them for the last 13 years. Now, it's not just waiting times, Mr Speaker. 13 years after the landmark Marmot review into child poverty, Sir Michael says this government is on track to make child poverty worse, with more than a quarter of our children living in poverty last year. When I was a young mum, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach not knowing if my wages would cover the bills. Yet his government has taken a wrecking ball to measures by the last Labour government to eradicate child poverty, even abolishing the child poverty unit. They tried to justify this by saying they no longer needed a child poverty unit because they've abolished the child poverty targets. So can he tell us what level of poverty he considers to be a success? I'd say to the right honourable lady, this comprehensive schoolboy is not going to take any lectures from the party opposite about the lives of working people. What I would say is that we have introduced record increases in the national living wage, something that this party introduced, the party opposite failed to do so. And we have taken one million working age people out of poverty altogether. That is the record of my party and one of which I am very proud. Mr Speaker, the last Labour government made it their mission to reduce the number of children in poverty by a million. We achieved that. Under the Tories, child poverty is nearly back to the level it was when Labour last inherited the Tory mess. After 13 years of the Tories, they're stuck in a conveyor belt of crisis. And while his party is preparing for opposition with their Trump Tribute Act conference over the road, (laughs) Labour are focused on fixing the real problems facing British people. The Tories have picked their side. They're for the vested interests, for the oil companies and the bankers, for those that are profiting from the crisis and not suffering from it. Whether it's failing the millions of people anxiously waiting for treatment or overseeing a rise in child poverty. And while these colleagues spout nonsense at their carnival of conspiracy, I want to know, when will his party stop blaming everybody else and realise that the problem is them? Mr Speaker, I will proudly defend our record in office. Crime down 50%, near record levels of employment, a record minimum wage. And what, Mr Speaker, what's their record? Four general election defeats, 30 promises already broken, and one leader who let anti-Semitism run wild. is why the British people will never trust the Labour Party. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Would my right that was then uh, Oliver Dowden and Angela Rayner. Um, quite a different flavour, actually, to this Prime Minister's questions. Uh, I think the standout line to me, this comprehensive schoolboy mm. is not going to take any lectures from the party opposite. We know that Angela Rayner is immensely fiery, and you could hear that in the language um, that she used with Oliver Dowden about child poverty, about waiting lists for appointments at uh, 
the NHS. But Dowden is not Dominic Raab, and he countered that he would proudly, you know, back and and talk about the Conservatives' record in government. Yeah, Dowden... uh channeling his uh, inner Michael Howard. Of course, Michael Howard's most famous line at the dispatch box, this comprehensive boy is not going to take lectures from the public schoolboy sitting across the benches referring to Tony Blair's rather privileged uh, upbringing. So a fascinating line uh, from Dowden. Yeah, wasn't he? Uh, I thought he was very strong, wasn't he? Bringing a real a sort of different strength to Prime Minister's questions to Dominic Raab. Uh, I did think that uh, the, uh, the deputy leader of the Labour Party uh, was did seem to be following a bit of a script. It was a very good script, and she mm. delivered the lines well, but did seem to be quite a bit of reading. She was looking down a lot during Prime Minister's questions, and the questions went on a long time. Yes, they did. And I think it was there was a bit of difficulty sort of trying to pin her opponent down on, on that um, issue. I mean, I thought um, that the idea, uh, you know, <laughs> that she began with, um, Angela Rayner, that is, the third time's a charm, that this is the third deputy prime minister that she had faced, um, you know, in, in as many years, effectively. I think that was quite a strong start. Um, but Oliver Dowden retorted, you know, and raised the question around a coalition government, whether if there were a hung parliament, Labour would go in, you know, with the Liberal Democrats. And that we hadn't thought mm. about that possibility. Yeah, he, at the start he, of the he show. threw that into great cheers, didn't he, from the Tory benches? Of course, the, uh, the Tories elections love to uh, uh, throw out the prospect of uh, deals with the SNP or deals with the Lib Dems. Uh, and you do have to wonder if that is going to be uh, on their central to their, their promises uh, at uh, the next election. Also, an interesting reference uh, to uh, the Phil and Holly of British politics. Uh, Do, does our audience know about the spat of the, these breakfast television presenters, Phil and uh, Holly, who apparently have fallen out, according to all of the uh, yeah the tabloid newspaper reporters? Well, I have to say, I'm not fully across the story <laughs> either. But but he did he did deliver that line with a plum, didn't he? Actually, I thought I thought it landed rather well. Yeah, and it will certainly be well understood by anybody else in the country, I suspect, um, because you know he was basically making the comparison that Angela Rayner and Keir Starmer are the equivalent that they are fighting behind the scenes and yeah this is the same issue with the the itv presenters um anyway i like the fact that you made the the michael howard reference who i met as a teenager i, I remember him quite did you well. yeah i did so I, I think that's great that was such a powerful line wasn't it across it was. the dispatch box it really it really it really hurt tony blair and of course tony blair was very difficult to uh, to to land a punch on at uh, prime minister's questions now, Lizzie has abandoned us today, Ewan. She's not in the podcast studio. She's actually been finding out what businesses are saying at the British Chambers of Commerce conference. Lizzie, you're with us uh, now, though, of course, from the BCC event. Not normally the most well-attended uh, event on the social calendar or even the business calendar, I'd say. But you've got Keir Starmer and Jeremy Hunt both making the effort to go and speak there today. Why and what's the atmosphere been like? Well, of course, the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, has had an exodus of members over those two alleged cases of rape. So all the lobby groups for business have been clambering to fill the void that the CBI has left. Top of the list is the British Chambers of Commerce. So they've managed to get speeches from Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, and the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, uh, today. And what 
I'm hearing from business leaders uh, over coffee and croissant between speeches is that they feel like they're not being listened to. They feel like neither political party is giving them enough of a positive vision for the economy post-Brexit. And it's something that we've heard a lot recently, isn't it? We've heard it from the Revolut co-founders who said that Britain's got extreme bureaucracy. We heard it from Jan de Plessis saying that London's decline is down to the narrow British way of life. And I know you were speaking to the Lord Mayor earlier uh, on Bloomberg Radio, Caroline, and he said something similar. So business leaders are here today to get answers and they want to know who's going to be the voice for them. Can it be the BCC? Yeah, suddenly uh, a very important name in the business calendar so plenty of people in attendance the bank of england governor uh the labor leader keir starmer an interesting speech from the chancellor jeremy hunt what what did he tell the conference a few things so he said that he couldn't promise tax cuts ahead of a general election which of course we're expecting next year even though there's so much pressure from within his own party to do that he said that he and the prime minister rishi sunak are focused on maintaining the UK's credibility within financial markets. So very much sticking with the dullness dividend, steadying the ship, but not really trying to show that big ambition that I just said businesses are looking for, you know, really focusing on stability and credibility. He also said that the UK is on a, narrow, on a path to bring down inflation, but that goal isn't going to be achieved automatically. That's not what former Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England, Michael Saunders, said to us. Remember, he said that halving inflation by the end of the year is like targeting that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. And he did say, though, that the main tax he wants to deliver when the economic picture allows is to make the full expensing policy permanent. That really is something that lots of business leaders in this room are saying they want, because, of course, Mm. at the moment it's only temporary, uh, but they could make longer term plans if the government was to commit to that. But, of course, it makes it harder to make the sums add up if they don't go for uh, a permanent, if, if they do go for a permanent full expensing policy. Yeah, absolutely. The Chancellor Jeremy Hunt had this to say, the Brexit decision was a decision to change our economic model. So telling these business leaders that the UK is moving away from dependence on, quote, unlimited low skilled migration. I think the issue, though, on that idea of whether the economic uh, model has changed or not is, you know, whether the ambition matches that new reality It does seem to only be dawning on Britain and um the government and business leaders also that that is the case. Lizzie, so what should we expect then from Keir Starmer? Well, he's given an interview to the Times newspaper and he said that a whole generation is being blocked out of the housing market so Labour would back the builders, not the blockers, as he puts it. And that includes by breaking what he calls the taboo of building on the green belt. So that's going to be really controversial with the NIMBYs. They're not in my backyarders. And he links the housing crisis to his own childhood. He blames the Conservatives for killing the home ownership dream. So once again, just as he has done week after week at PMQs, drawing a class distinction between himself and the Prime Minister. Of course, he's also previously promised, if elected, that the UK would achieve the highest growth in the G7. So you can expect him today to pledge to stop the doom loop of low growth, low productivity and his tactics. His words, not mine. And he'll point to planning as a hurdle to that. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us. 
So, uh, Lizzie Burden at the British Chambers of Commerce, I think one of the key words with the next general election 18 months away is ambition. And that really was the thrust of the of what businesses have been talking about, what Lizzie was talking about. And she mentioned the Lord Mayor of the City of London, that's Nicholas Lyons. He spoke to uh, us earlier this morning. He said that this is the key ingredient that is missing from the UK since we've left um, the EU. And he was very bold in talking about it. Have a listen. It's not. And we need to get on the front foot. Uh, We've got massive assets to push. But there is a broader cultural point about the creation of wealth. The creation of wealth in this country has become uh, almost a dirty topic to talk about. We cannot provide the services we want in our national health service, in our care system, in our educational system if we're not driving productive growth in the UK economy, that comes from a thriving city and from uh, from a more mature approach to the creation of wealth and the creation of jobs. We've got to have that debate. We've got to have that discussion. We've got to talk about the way we remunerate the best executives in this country. So that was Nicholas Lyons, the Lord Mayor of the City of London. This is a moment, I think, for the UK where business in a way has accepted Brexit, moved on. Now we need the actual plan for what Britain going forward in the future is going to be all about. And it seems that we're kind of coalescing. A number of people have talked about this issue. Yeah. What is Britain's place in the world? That is the big question, isn't it? And I don't think either party or really business leaders have got an answer to that. I just don't think we know whether we're going to be a low-tax country off the coast of Europe or or, or something a bit more integrated into the the European economy uh, or something else. And what do we specialise in? Where is our place in the the future economy? Yeah, is it life sciences? Is it, you know, high-end manufacturing? What what is it? Um, And so that's why it's so interesting, Keir Starmer comments that we mentioned at the beginning of the programme, this idea of trying to reopen the negotiations, at least in part around trade with the European Union. Keir Starmer making those comments to Sky News this morning. I mean, they they struck us as really um, quite surprising Mm. that you could even try to go back to do that. I mean, would the EU ever reopen those difficult impossible negotiations yeah i mean they've said no and uh, keir starmer has been clear that he's not going to take us back into the single market yes. so it is not a uh, 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 to use the phrase it is not an ambitious renegotiation but it is perhaps a tweaking of our relationship with europe and that's something which uh, the boss of stellantis one of the world's biggest car makers has said it wants to do it says it's not happy with the trade deal which that we have with europe two thousand people employed by stellantis making cars in the uk but yeah little uh, um, there's mm. little uh, appetite in Europe for, for opening that can of worms. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there we have it. Prime Minister's questions and the place of Britain in the world. I think deputies at dawn is sort of what we were talking about might be the tagline for today's encounter between Angela Rayner and Oliver Dowden. For yeah, the first Oliver time. Dowden's. Yeah, first appearance. And uh, it was a pretty pretty good effort, I think, from the Deputy Prime Minister. Well, that is it uh, from us today. If you like the programme, don't forget you can subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, this episode was produced by James Walcock, our audio engineer. Over in New York is John Wasserman. I'm Caroline Hepke. I'm Ewan Potts. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cutter economic forum.com.